talking part of love fast love talk because it's my friday and y'all know i'm here all day but anyway this is 10 o'clock hour and guess who's in the studio with me today i've been chasing these women for months <laughs> hey monroe's hey b doja taylor welcome to love babs love talk speak right into the mic so we can hear you how are y'all good, how are you doing? yeah you're good i think so yeah a little bit Happy summer. <laughs> Happy summer. Happy summer. It's moving right along. It's good. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so B. Doja Taylor is the owner of Black Print Heritage Gallery and a Walking Truth Christian bookstore on the corner of Edgewood and Day, one of my favorite places in the city. It is a gem of this city. And the Monroes, who I've known through my relationship with B. I've known them mm. for years and years and years. <laughs> and they're sisters. <laughs> Lisa so and Susan. Yeah. <laughs> now... They've got this thing called uh, Book Talk Sisters, and they're running this conversation book club, book group thing around um, Carter G. Woodson's The Miseducation of the Negro. Why? <laughs> Why? <laughs> Why not? Why not? Why not? Why not? Yeah. Why not? Actually, you know, we started uh, book grouping uh, in, our, in Baltimore years mm-hmm. ago. Um, we did a group in our home, in our apartment. We just wanted to, I had an idea, a desire really to talk to people about uh, citizenship and black issues and what we're trying to do in this country, uplift all of that. And so we started reading in our apartment. We moved it to our main library downtown in Baltimore and opened a citywide reading group before reading groups became that popular. <laughs> and then when we got here to New Haven, we kept in stride. Uh, B. Dozier Taylor, as you said, has a gem of a bookstore, a cultural icon in the city. And so we teamed up and uh, here we are. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay, so is this this is not the first conversation, is it? No. 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 This is really the third. Uh, last year we opened with uh, a discussion of the founding documents. Yes. Uh, right. Gloria Brown Marshall has a book, uh, the U.S. Constitution: An African American Perspective, and she's annotated the Constitution with notes about um, historical references to the Black experience. Um, so we did that, and uh, it also includes the Declaration of Independence. And we fed some other documents and articles into it to make it more relevant for today. But uh, that's where we began last year. And in the spring, we repeated that reading. And now we've moved on to the miseducation of the Negro. Okay. All right. So what's the response been like? Are people feeling this or are people feeling like, I don't want to talk about these things? Are people receptive? Yeah, people are receptive. I I wasn't sure how people would feel about the miseducation of the Negro. It's not uh, the first thing that comes to mind when you think Mm -hmm. about a black reading group. And um, (laughs) (laughs) well, it really isn't. But frankly, uh, B was reading it, and uh, after our social justice call with the founding document, she said she kept talking about the uh, Carter G. Woodson, the the author, talking about his 
views on education and health, obviously relevant that is today to mm-hmm. what we're dealing with. So we said, why not? For the end of the summer, let's just put mm-hmm. that on the agenda and see who comes out. And we had our first session last Saturday, and we had a good response. And then we do also do a Twitter chat. Mm-hmm. Sue and I and B Ooh, have I didn't come see on that. Board. Yeah, we do a yeah. Twitter chat. So uh, just last this week, Tuesday evening, we do it from 8 to 9. And uh, one of our tweets got picked up. It virtually went viral. I mean, for our standards, we got about 20 <laughs> retweets. And oh, so great. And people said, oh, I'm going to buy this book. I'm going to get it. This I got to get into this tweet chat. Yeah, Hashtag social justice call. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, so we're, we're, we're making an impression. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, I know B is an avid reader of all kinds of stuff. So, I mean, you run a bookstore, you're an avid reader. Yeah. So what about this B, which I know already, but folks who are listening don't know. Why are you doing this? Like, why are you supporting this? Throughout the soon to be 30 years of the bookstore, it has always been important for me to have individuals like Susan and Lisa um, to utilize that space. We don't have a lot of places where we can actually, throughout the year, 365 days, bring our children in, um, let them have the visual. And that's something you have done. Mm-hmm. Um, you're, I, I've watched your children grow up. A lot of people say they like reading, um, um, avid readers. Uh, oh, my child reads. But that's not necessarily, it doesn't always translate into uh, people coming in because people do live very busy lives. Mm-hmm. Um, you have a busy life, mm-hmm. but you <laughs> made a point throughout these. And I think you and I have known each other now a good 28, 20. Yeah. Yeah. A long time. Years. And so um, so this is important. Uh, there are other groups that have come in. And if they think of it as an incubator to start out. Um, and then to go and do their thing. Uh, but what Lisa and Susan are doing, it, it, it helps to uh, uh, bring to the forefront that we have a place uh, to utilize it and then to draw our community in. So. So, Lisa, tell me, what is the most stunning thing about the miseducation of Negro that made you think this is so relevant? Well, it, you know, it's, talk about a page turner. <laughs> this book is like it's if you if we had a publication today that focused on black education, it would be in that newspaper. What Tarter G. Woodson began in 1933. Basically, he's talking about how the public school system uh, obviously miseducates but indoctrinates our community to be less uh, interested in our own welfare and more educated about and interested in the welfare of other cultures, predominantly the white Anglo culture. Wow, that is and, very uh, timely. <laughs> you know, so it's not as if people aren't going to find any relevancy in, in his words. And, uh, and But this, what he is known as at this point is that he's almost prophetic because it's 2017, and what he was writing about and lamenting in 1933 as something that had already been going on is still going on. Still going on. You know, and so he says, essentially... Uh, he, he he uses these phrases, uh, highly educated Negroes or educated Negroes have been educated out of usefulness to our community. They become. Whoa. Uh, yeah. That's every- inflammatory. <laughs> <laughs> like if you say that now, yeah, people yeah. would want to fight you because that's 
well, people say that now. <laughs> and and there's, there's relevance to it. The system itself, uh, from kindergarten through 12th grade, you know, your, your basic grade school uh, education, and we see this in the newspapers all the time. Textbooks are geared, obviously, dominantly to white culture, to European history. Um, African history is, is something we've been pushing to move forward into the textbooks, into our curriculum, but it's not really there. And if it's not there, then that means that you are being miseducated out of self-knowledge, out of self-empowerment. Education, we believe, is about self-empowerment, self-liberation, self-definition, the ability to define yourself. And uh, if you don't have that history, if you don't have that knowledge of yourself, Woodson said, how can you really be educated? You're really just mimicking someone else's culture. That's pretty and powerful. That's very powerful. And not only that, you, uh, you end up uh, not being useful to yourself, but also not being useful to the other communities in this nation because you aren't using your own gifts. You're just mimicking someone else. You can only be second best to someone else. But so, you can- so reading that, do you find, do you make the leap that if you are mimicking somebody else's culture and educational systems, then you begin to not value or respect or align yourself with your own? Is that the That's exactly right That's right, and that is a definition of miseducation, as Carter G. Woodson uh, outlines in his book. He has the most intriguing chapter titles. The first uh, title of chapter one is uh, uh, The Seat of the Trouble, mm-hmm. and then How We Miss the Mark, How We Drifted Away from the Truth. You know, he just puts it right out there. And in fact, his book, some people think his book is a history book. It is, in a sense, broadly of education, but it's really, he says in the preface, that he wrote this because he'd been giving talks about black education for so many years and people wanted a, a bound book. They wanted the document. They wanted his words to think about and continue, as he says, to apply in their own lives. And so he said, this book is really a compilation of 40 years of reflections mm-hmm. on being in education, either as a student. And of course he was the second black person in the United States to receive a PhD from Harvard. Uh, so his reflections as a student, as a scholar, and then as an educator. Uh, so in his life was, I don't, I don't know completely his biography, but he began as a coal miner in West Virginia. Really? Now he, that yeah. I didn't know. And didn't enter school, I understand, until he was at, in his late teens. Wow. And accelerated <laughs> to the degree that he received that one of the highest degrees in the country, one of the earliest black men uh, to do that. So he saw both ends of things. He saw the what he would call sort of the masses, the uneducated, uneducated masses for whom he said, uh, because they were ensconced in our, in our own culture, because they were already uh, uh, aware of how to make a living either agriculturally or start businesses, they were more useful to our community than people who would go to Harvard or Yale or Princeton, got educated in some other realm, and then would come back to the community and couldn't talk about Greek philosophers with anybody on the block because nobody else knew what they were talking about. <laughs> and so that's how they become useless. It's not that their education, their information isn't, isn't uh, valuable, but it's useless if you if useless useless if you want to come back and uplift the community. Ah, right. So that's he, a good point. Yeah, and he he talks about us just needing a, a functional education at some point. The question is, do we need that higher education? I would say yes, <laughs> as a you know person that teaches in higher education. But um, you know, we need a sound grounding in the basics, and then we can move on. And but his his uh, return to school as an adult, you know, means that anyone can do it. This is accessible to anyone. This is related to what we're doing in terms of community education and self-study. Mm-hmm. You know, Carter G. Woodson could have just gone on to study independently. I mean, he went through the school system and got a PhD, but uh, not everyone is going to do that. 
but you can uh, get this information on your own, study on your own as an adult. It doesn't mean that you have to be, um, you know, so academic or highfalutin or, you know, um, become study things that are hard to access, but uh, anyone can pursue this. And that's what we're doing. We're trying to put that out into the community. Well, that's, I think that's a B. Dozier Taylor thing because Mm -hmm. you're, you're just that person, right? Something, when I opened up in 1988, it was very interesting because so many of our African-American males, whether they went off to college or if they were coming out of what I call the old who's gal. And <laughs> you, but they knew about this book, The Miseducation of the Negro. They they carried it in their pockets. They talked about how um, uh, relevant it is, uh, continues to be, how we missed the mark. Um now, but what I, I, I saw is that when you, when you understand this, then there are next steps. Mm-hmm. And that's something where I found we were lacking in the that area. Steps. Those next steps. Uh, understanding how you missed the mark, but then it's like, you know, the bullseye is still there. Let's just keep right on aiming. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the aim gets somehow, it veers off. Um, and, uh, and, and there's that piece that comes in there, you know, where now you have information. This is what I found. It's like you have information and now you want to lord over your community. Um, even today people point at young people and talk about what they don't know. Well, they can't know what we don't teach. We're Mm -hmm. not making things available to them. So, yeah, this continues to be the first time I read miseducation of the Negro. I mean, initially I had a problem with just that term Negro. Um, but when, but that was the language of the day, right? Now, and interesting, yeah. yes, <laughs> but in here, this is 1933, but they were discussing then mm-hmm. about calling our, ourselves black. You know, the ah. name change. So no, nothing is new. We just don't take that. We don't value individuals like Carter G. Woodson. You know, he's the father of black history. Mm-hmm. But what does that mean other than pulling together a few quotes during Black History Month um, and, 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 and acknowledging um, uh, black inventions? But it really gets limited um, because this has to be foundational. There's something that's missing in us we keep missing the mark but there's still there seems to be some kind of enjoyment in talking about what should be um and should is a word that everybody knows what should be but it doesn't take into account the reality of what is so so should we be pressing board of education to be much more inclusive of our history and our story Whose responsibility is it to blanket our community with our history and our and our stories? It's everyone's responsibility. And yes, we should be pushing boards of education to do that, uh, to have a more inclusive curriculum, uh, to make uh, the curriculum more diverse for everyone, really. I mean, not only our culture, but a, a curriculum that reflects the community in which it's taught. Um, 
and Lisa can probably speak to some of the the battles with textbooks in public schools to do that. Uh, but even if even if there's an African American history class that your students are taking in the schools, we still need this uh, education in our homes to mm-hmm. show students how it's important and how it's relevant. You know, we can't just say, okay, well, the public schools are going to you know do Black History Month or African American History. Our, my you know student has taken a course. Uh, how are we going to show that child, that young person, that these things are relevant and important? We have to show it through application. We have to show them through our own study and reading. And again, it doesn't have to be heavy handed. We're not saying you have to read Miseducation of the Negro and write an essay and be published. But I am. I'm saying you have to do that. It would be nice. It would be nice. But let's just be versed. We have differences. Our goals are different. Let's just be versed in our history. Send me your essays. Well, Sorry, a little I steps at a time, okay. you know, uh, let's be realistic here. Um, yeah, that would, be, that would be great. Yes, yeah, yes. that would be great. But, um, you know, if we can just be versed in our history and maybe just choose one person. One thing I really enjoyed about um, reconnecting about Woodson is all the historical references in the book. So mm-hmm. there are many names and mm-hmm. things that he drops. And we actually have a list on our website, booktalksisters.com, of a lot of the names and links to their history. And once you start researching and linking up all the names, then, you know, the whole picture becomes clearer. You, you just have a broad idea of, of what the history is just through that one book. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, that's the kind of study that maybe you're not going to get in school. Uh, but, you know, take your time, move through the book and uh, do your own kind of research and your own kind of pace. And that's the benefit of it, I think. Wow. And something that is missing, I'm sorry, B, just one point, something that is missing in our schools is the intergenerational exchange. Mm-hmm. We try to promote our reading group intergenerationally. We want young people, we want our elders, we want a whole mix of people because we all bring something to it. We are ourselves a text. And so when you get all those different mixes of people in the room, you not only have the book you're studying, but you have the text of people's lives that they can contribute. And that you won't get in the public schools. That's why it makes that's why it's so mm-hmm. important to do collective what we call collective study, but it's really just uh, sharing with yeah. uh, each other what our knowledge is. Each one, teach one. I like right. that. Yeah, I like that. So, how should we be thinking about um, how do we check our anger and still be able to intellectually gather and sit and be in this? Because I suspect <laughs> <laughs> you could get you you could get mad quick, fast, in a hurry. Yeah, with, without a doubt. You know what? It's I, I think Woodson really was trying to tell people you do have to you do have to separate intellectual and, and emotion. But his idea, he said, was to awaken people to what the situation was, the current situation. And so essentially, he was telling people, "Stay woke." <laughs> he was saying, "Stay woke. Be about yeah. business right now. You know, see what the situation is and deal with it." Yeah, you're going to be angry if you really are learning something. You are going to be angry, and you'll be motivated to change things. Mm-hmm. He was not only just pragmatic and getting knowledge, but he was saying also be activist and change the situation. But you yeah. don't want to. I mean, I know you're not saying this, but you don't want to totally dismiss emotional responses because that's what you know. Our mental health challenge is coming. We're not crazy <laughs> in thinking about you know we're, we're being followed around the store or that there's prejudice and so on. Uh, we have to acknowledge that. And that's also maybe the, the power of gathering together in a group and discussing these things. Uh, real life experiences come out in our discussions and that helps us to um, validate our experience. And then the thing is with we, we say angry. Now, um, I think underneath 
everything that's in me, there's probably anger. Mm-hmm. But then what is it that you do with it? What what, what am I angry about? Um, and so the next step in, in the bookstore really is, it, it's about that. I think there is that uh, not under, wanting to know more, um, um, uh, wanting to put pieces back in place, uh, 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 creating opportunities in our neighborhoods so that our, our children are seeing something other than barbershops, beauty parlor, liquor stores, funeral home, church ministries, nightclubs, sneaker stores, uh, nail salons. I mean, and, and, and fast food restaurants. And mobile places. Now, (laughs) now, that's the whole city. (laughs) Now, and and where the bookstore is, that was a liquor store. Mm -hmm. Um, There was a liquor store just uh, two blocks over when I went to Troop. Uh, And I'm 66 now. Um, So we don't offer our children much. And so they're, uh, so anger uh, when you identify what your anger is and then uh, 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 channel it, mm-hmm. uh, because when we're not channeling it, then we're using our anger not to do anything. You know, it's just good enough to be angry. OK, um, that's a good point. That's a really good point. And and you can stroke that thing because sometimes times <laughs> when I'm angry and, and I really have to pray because I'm not ready to give it up because mm-hmm. it feels good Mm -hmm. so we have to really kind of look at okay what is my next step and that's where one of the ways we miss the mark the next step taking the next step or um thinking about what the next step ought to be so do you think um did carter g woodson offer i haven't read the miseducation (laughs) of negro in 20 years. Mm. It's been 20 years since college. Yeah. yeah. So, oh, that's 30 years, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> we tell the truth. 30 years. So, did Carter G. Mm. Woodson offer us any insight into how to stay woke and then move forward in our awakened place? Well, you know, essentially he said, critique all the information that you encounter. Ah. What I'm saying and anyone else that is, mm-hmm. he was saying himself, critique my work or anyone's and determine what is best for you. Let's look at our community in terms of what is important for us to know mm-hmm. and then begin to uh, in- implement that, whether it's through the system. That's challenging. System. That is challenging, Lisa, to sort of inventory our community because you will hear people say whatever, uh, <laughs> education and housing and mental health. and I mean, we have so much... Not just a plate, a platter of <laughs> yeah. things mm-hmm. yeah. that yeah. require our immediate attention 24-7, right? Young people, mental health, housing, drugs, um, homelessness, chronic, whatever. I mean, there's a, there's a platter, platters of mm-hmm. issues. So, And it's true, and it's true. And I think if, they, if we could reduce it to one or two... Uh, principles he really champions mm-hmm. one is self-care not only individually but uh, as a community we don't talk about self-care what do mm-hmm. we need we need assistance that we need practical things we need schools we need health care for uh, uh, professionals we need lawyers we need the basic things to be a a sort of uh, community a whole community within the larger nation and so he would say about even businesses probably we don't need liquor stores in every corner 
but he did champion entrepreneurship, black entrepreneurship. And this is his thing about education. Yes, go learn liberal arts, religion, history, philosophy, but open a store that can serve your community. Uh, you know, you send uh, black folks to school to be doctors and lawyers. Well, support them. He says our problem is we look at uh, black professionals and say, uh, they're only half as good as the white. Let's go to the white. It's, how, how are you going to progress if you don't support the people who get the education you need? Mm-hmm. And how will you progress if you don't, as entrepreneurs, uh, build a base, an economic base that you can then build on for your children. He said, you know, foreigners come to this country, blacks get very caught up in liberal arts education, in, in the philosophies and those kinds of things, and forget the, the small things like a grocery store. So foreigners come to this country and study blacks, not philosophy, and learn how to make money and grow rich. Because wow. we aren't even producing the, the business owners who need to supply our, our needs. So. Uh, he did cut it, you know, he cut close to the bone on everything. Mm-hmm. He pulled, didn't pull any punches because he said he himself made those kind of errors judging people. Yeah. He's not uh, kind to preachers necessarily. <laughs> uh, you know, politicians, uh, everyone gets a, everyone gets a fair shot at his uh, critique, but he's not wrong either. And it's not that we aren't doing anything, but he always says we can do so much better. And in fact, given our, uh, you know, given the, the economic cultivated in, in the community. Mm. That's pretty interesting. So now why do you have um, black men obsolete, <laughs> dangerous, well, you know, <laughs> single, dangerous? And- yes, uh, uh, Black Men Obsolete, Single, Dangerous is a book of essays, poems, a sort of compilation of uh, Haki Madabudi. You know, that's who, my love. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, his, he began as a, a poet, and some people may know him. Third, from, third world 60s, press, mm-hmm. yes. Uh, as Don L. Lee, but he changed his name, uh, began with a group of poets in Chicago to develop third world press, as you say, an independent publisher, which is still going on Still today. going. And they I started, stay on what, top of them. Early 70s, mm-hmm. uh, something like that. So they've been around quite a while. But this book came out, I believe it came out in 93, and uh, it was a, an amazing uh, reaction. We, Susan and I are from Baltimore, and he visited Baltimore talking about the book. Uh, it sold over one million copies, which I think was the first time any black independent Oh, I see that. I did that not many. know. Yeah, it, it really was well-received. Uh, and it hit the, hit the mark, let's say, mm-hmm. to reiterate uh, Woodson. But in particular, there's one essay in this book called Never Without a Book. Uh, which Haki talks about uh, how he began to read. And he was a young man doing the doo-wop and all that kind of thing And uh, <laughs> as a young man and went to Chicago, started traveling around with a group of young people selling Jet and Ebony, trying to make some money. They were interested in college. I think they were doing it as a summer program. He said, oh, I never thought about education for a young black man even being possible. They were talking about getting back to the university. He thought, hmm, that's interesting. He didn't do that, but he went into the army. And essentially he said, you know, the army was about hurry up and wait. So all day you have nothing to do, essentially. He started his own self-education program. He would read a book a day and write, and this is why I said I want the essays. (laughs) He would read a a book a day and write a a page and a half review of that book. And he said it changed his life. You know, he was introduced to Malcolm and Richard Wright and uh, uh, St. Clair Drake, historians and novelist James Baldwin all kinds of people he was reading and he said I began to understand the importance of self-knowledge I had no idea and he had gone through a public education system no idea this vast amount of knowledge about our history our African history was there and and what I also like about what he does in this essay is very short very easy accessible he talks about um, the pleasure of education yeah talk about Mm -hmm. that in our group he said education was like you know, it was like eating, it was food, yes. it was it was new life to people. It was just, it became as important to him as lovemaking. 
And so that's pretty deep for a 19-year-old young man to say about reading. And so, wow. And then it includes a list of uh, sort of recommended books at the end mm-hmm. of the essay. But I, I teach that essay, and I know Sue does in her class as well. And students just drink it up because they have not heard people their age, or at least he's writing at the time uh, at an age where they are contemporaries with him, talk about the importance and the impact. His own personal reading group, this, it wasn't forced upon him. He couldn't stop. He said, when I got to uh, one of his uh, fort camp, I forgot what camp it was, but his, the, the, the sergeant who met them, the drill sergeant, saw the book in his hand. I think it might have been Malcolm X's um, autobiography. And he took it from him and held it up to everyone and said, this is not, you know, this isn't going to get you anywhere. And he tore the pages out of it right in front of him. And he said that just, you know, deepened, made him double down on the importance. that showed him just how important it was mm-hmm. because his drill sergeant wanted to let him know, a white man, wanted to let him know it was not important to know his history. So are you ever amazed when you have a new crop of students coming in and how they just drink this up? Like, are you amazed that, oh, my God, they're coming without any real knowledge of this stuff? Oh, definitely. I mean, something like even the the Declaration of Independence or the Constitution. Um, One thing that that follows the essay in Hakeem Adabudi's book is a list of books that he feels that every black person should read. Mm -hmm. So that's touching on this idea of cultural literacy. And I talk about cultural literacy in my class. Uh, and, you know, sometimes I'll just throw a date up on the board, 1776. And a lot of students can't apply any importance to that date. Um, and so... Really? <laughs> really. In really. college? They don't know. 1865. College? 17, yes, seven, 1776. They haven't been taught it, or if they were, they memorized it and, you know, just easily forgot and maybe it's not that important to know exact dates, but uh, you know some things are just <laughs> in but our seventeen seventy six though. I, I've I've stood in front <laughs> of a classroom and and asked and you know gotten no response. And maybe once I say you know or give them a few hints, they go, oh well, of course. But um, you know the idea of cultural literacy becomes very important. Uh, and I think I'm forgetting your question, but um, when you are are you surprised oh, yeah. when young people when a new crop of students come in right and yeah. they don't have any awareness exactly so once once the idea of maybe a timeline of history or questioning them or asking them what is it that you know or what is important what do you think is important to know they do begin to see sometimes a deficit and say well you know how can i learn this how can i learn that uh when are we going to study this can we cover that you know, um, so, yeah, they once once they realize that maybe they have a deficit, then they definitely want to fill in the gaps. And once you have that kind of hunger or interest, then, you know, that's half the battle because you will go on whether or not you take a African-American history course in college or not. You're going to go on and do some reading on your own. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, we can fill in little tidbits. But uh, again, it comes back to the individual, what we were all saying, individual study for self-empowerment self-determination and eventually advocacy. And I ask, you know, students a lot of times as well, what is it that you want your children to know? You know, some of them are parents. What do you want them to know? What, what would you have wanted to know in order to be more empowered, to be more uh, certain of yourself, to have a better sense of history? Where are the questions that you have? And uh, that helps them also determine what it is they want to study. So what do you all think of these new films that sort of, bring us closer to the story of slaves or enslaved people. Mm. You know, we've had 12 years of slave. We've had, I don't know, whatever. Well, unfortunately, now they're the talking Django, about Confederate. Um, uh, Django and now uh, the Confederate. Uh, which is really kind of dangerous. <laughs> but uh, I think they're great in terms of, um, you know, a lot of people want to learn visually. 
a lot of people, uh, you know, maybe don't want to go so deep into uh, real issues. And these are kind of sweeping tales that touch on a lot of things. Um, but they're also, there's still a danger of the story being taken from us in terms of the narrative being turned into... Well, you see all the backlash with the Confederate. Yes, I, I, and, I, I, don't, I don't get that. And let me, tell you the, <laughs> let me tell you the local connection. Oh. So the two writers uh-huh. um, is Reverend Edmonds' grandchildren uh, are connected to Reverend Edmonds. Like, okay. Like Kaji Spellman is Reverend Edmonds' granddaughter. Jeez. And her brother is the one of the writers and his wife is one of the writers of the story mm. they're black people well was it a, is it the book underground underground railroad what is the the Olsen? show underground yeah. Olsen whitehead what? underground the underground railroad yeah. underground i mean that that that's kind of a scientific or futuristic take on the underground railroad experience that's one thing i mean it's, and it was literary well thought out they're taking a, a science fiction take on it as i understand yeah i I, I don't really want to see our history toyed with until we have it down factually what actually happened well it's it's a fan i always think of it as white folks fantasy to sort of say the confederacy went the other way (laughs) and that slavery still prevails into this new millennium i i don't Mm. i don't know how that's gonna go well for us like i don't know (laughs) like i don't know what i mean like that is never gonna go well for us if that's the I want to uh, prevailing thought um, the movies such as uh, 12 years of slave uh, uh, the uh, what was it now the, I haven't but, seen 12 years of I, but, I, I'm for these stories being mm-hmm. told mm-hmm. I just haven't had the wherewithal to watch it now and 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 that happens you know we 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 go in and typically we're we say that we're looking at our history. This is to show us our history. The point I always make, no, I'm not looking at our history. I'm looking at theirs because it's the same thing that happened during the civil rights um, uh, movement where all of a sudden white folk are comfortably sitting on their couches and they're looking at their television sets and they're looking at what are we doing? Here we are with hoses and dogs and beating old people and children. That was a pivotal point. Um, They got a chance to see themselves. And so when I look at movies such as 12 Years of Slave, and it's like, no, I'm looking at your story, your behavior, the hatred, the sheer hatred that brings you to a point that you don't care about children and old people uh they don't want to see that um and and i can fast forward and say and you don't want to see that these are your folk in them red states that you are depriving depriving of about to deprive uh health benefits health care you know that same mean spiritness we see it today. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, no, it really, we have an opportunity to look at what they were like to us and how we braved ourselves in the midst of all of that. How many of us still, we would, in, in the midst of that kind of storm, we still, as a people, grow. Even though they say a flower doesn't grow in the storm. But, you know, but there are those flowers the roots run, it causes the roots to run deeper, Mm -hmm. uh, to hold on in the midst. And that's what I see in my community. 
like a flower in a storm and the roots just grow deeper. And then there are a lot that just get blown away. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I mean, roots did it for me. So I, you know, I don't really I don't <laughs> need any more stories. Or ne- positive or negative? <laughs> I mean, I think, I think both. I mean, I think both. I mean, it was startling and stunning because nothing else, you have, you've never seen anything like it. So I think that was enough for me. So now I have a full sense of what that time could have perhaps was like. I don't need to keep seeing it over and over. I don't need the slave porn over and over and over again. I just don't. Yeah, but, but, I, but I appreciate the stories. And I can read the stories. But I don't think I visually need to see, mm-hmm. you know, black people beaten, black women maligned and yeah. treated. I don't, I don't need that mm-hmm. visual anymore. But well, think- uh, another generation might need to see it. For right. example, Roots was remade recently yes. for and it was this remade. I hadn't today's seen generation. The, I, hadn't I haven't seen the seen remake. It, yeah. But, yeah. Uh, but it's still, you know, I just... I, I'm just over it. But yeah. that's just me. And I get that, you know, stories need to be told and told right. and told. I, I now, what about Selma? I saw Selma. Mm-hmm. I, I enjoyed mm-hmm. Selma very much. I, I enjoyed it very much. I thought it was... I mean, I still like Malcolm X. I like Spike, Spike Lee's Malcolm X. Oh, yeah, I mean, I, I still find that to be a very visually powerful mm-hmm. film, you know. But I think it will be equally as powerful or, or, or powerful at least to see a contemporary film with black actors and actresses uh, you know, just living their daily lives. You know, <laughs> I mean, you know, uh, being contemplative. Uh, you know, falling in love. Uh, you know, working. Yeah. You still don't see the everyday yeah. black person on film. Yeah. You know, so. That's and I important. think was. I mean, I think Ava DuVernay mm-hmm. has done a beautiful job of sort of working her way toward that. You know. I hope um, so. Yeah. And and I I'm looking forward to that without it being a slapstick comedy. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I want to see us do the kinds of films yeah. that other people like. I want to see us falling in love exactly. and falling out of love and getting right. back together and yeah. those kinds of films without, that everybody else has privy to. Without a riot going on in the background, without a riot <laughs> or race or yes, you know, you know, you know football game nigger being bandied about <laughs> yeah. or yeah. you know, or racist stuff. And and I'm not saying that it's a fantasy. I'm just saying. Mm-hmm. Balance. You know, we need balance. We need balance. some balance. We haven't gotten balance. It's like when we yet. saw a boomerang, mm. and every and people were so people were like, even black people were like, that's that's not real. <laughs> I was like, well, y'all ain't never been to Ebony or Essence or back in the day where right. you'd go to these places and it was just a sea of black people working, right. you know, putting out this public these publications. Well, you know, I see. I I could never. I I, I don't look at those uh, movies as entertainment when i go to see them i i there's something i feel i have to pay tribute to mm-hmm. you know those that that did stand in the storm in the storm um and and we are um you know we're we're what um uh, many of our um, uh, southern relations could only hope that one day their seed would be free. So, um, so I go there um, because there's something for me to to understand, to continually understand. Um, my my daughter said to me, "Mom, can't you just let a movie be a movie?" Um, no, um, uh, but I don't go with the idea of being entertained. That is not. In my mind, mm-hmm. uh, but see, there's why a lot can't we be entertained? Because yeah, there's enough I... in our day to day lives where we are entertained. 
We're entertained on our jobs. We're entertained with the thought of, you know, this new person coming into our lives and getting a new car. And, <laughs> you, I mean, we entertain ourselves in so many different ways. But we're talking about the legacy. We keep talking about future generations. I think we um, we have to understand we, we, we do a lot more in the name of entertainment and we undermine future generations because mm-hmm. we expect them to know something that we didn't know and didn't put in place, uh, didn't teach us to value. And, and so, so and I use these movies to 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 remind me um, uh, that that these, um, you know, what 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 we're up against, it's still there and it's going to be there for my children. It's going to be there for my grandchildren. Okay. Well, I think, um, you know, (laughs) if you are woke, you know, um, then you have a certain mindset, you, you see the world critically and and sometimes it's hard to remove that, um, consciousness and let a movie be a movie because everyone now is not only tuned into entertainment for entertainment's sake, but the entertainment industry. I mean, we know, you know, how many black people worked on this film? Who was the writer? Uh, how big is the part for this actor, you know, et cetera. Sometimes it's hard to divorce yourself of that uh, mindset, you know, as a critic in seeing a film. But um, we've used films, uh, 13th, for example, uh, Mm -hmm. last week we used um, a reference to 12 Years a Slave to help illustrate some of the things that we're talking about in miseducation or some of the other issues. And so it's been helpful, again, to help people have a visual to see. I mean, we can't, not slavery isn't in, in any of our personal experience. So, you know, the film, the visual does help us to create that context and make things, you know, possible for us to imagine. It's not real, but we can imagine it. Mm-hmm. And part of also imagining it, and making it real was going on um, a tour as part of our previous reading group. We visited the Prince Hall Mason Lodge, which is the former site of the uh, colored school uh, for children uh, here in New Haven and visited their museum there um, that tells the story of that school being set up. And then we went on a, a mini walking tour over to Varick and also to the uh, former Hannah Gray home to talk about history here in New Haven. So that's another way to bring the visual into the experience and help people see that we're, we're talking about something that is real. These are not just abstract ideas, but it's real. People have lived these things. Well, and, and and when um, and there um, um, at the um, the Prince, Prince Mason Hall, Hall yes, yeah. yeah. mm-hmm. on the outside, that was a part of the Underground Railroad. So mm-hmm. they have these large doors that they open up in the ground, these large plates. And just imagine that um, there were uh, young children, there were adults that would come I, I, from uh, where Varick is. And that might be maybe about three or four city blocks that they were actually going underground and coming up right there. Um, That does um, that that takes a moment just taking that in. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, But a lot of people didn't know that that existed there. Um, there's, There's a lot about our history. We really take for granted there is a place and there's a reason to value it well thank you ladies for being here today thank you, thank you this has so been much. a real pleasure and a quite illuminating experience so the book group meets uh is going to be going on 
um, Saturdays. Saturdays from 2 to 3.30 at Black Print um, Bookstore on the corner of Edgewood and Day, my old address. Okay. So go. I invite everyone who hears this, and it'll this will replay again this afternoon oh, and sometime over the weekend. People should go and just be about... Um, listening and learning and don't be intimidated this is not intimidating stuff they are inviting you to self-learn and i think that is a a big piece of uh uh building our own intellectual place in our community so thank you all for coming thank you susan lisa and me doja taylor so i'm on my way out i'll be back next week uh pundits is up at 11 i'll see y'all on the other side thank you No, no, no.